Let's spell a song so you can sing along with my special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today is a very special guest. He is a content creator, I guess, on Instagram and TikTok that I love, and he is the host of the Sunset Project podcast and co-host of Exclusive Gay Moments podcast. I hope I'm saying those right. It's Broadway Bob, everyone. And hey there. The, and that's the only name I'm going to give you all. <laughs> because it's perfect (laughs) well thank you john thanks for having me this is so much fun i mean uh, i love the concept of kind of deep diving into it like a movie that you love and a lot of times i'm assuming you're getting a lot of childhood movies that people loved as kids yes so it's like it's an it's a trip down down nostalgia lane it's just so fun and a lot of those childhood movies it's the first time i'm watching them like today's topic (laughs) which (laughs) Bob. Yes. Broadway Bob. <laughs> if you pick it, if you come back and you pick another topic like this, I think we're going to have to be best friends. <laughs> I wasn't sure we were taking that. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Before I, before, before I word vomit every, all my thoughts, let, let's just do like a little background. We're talking about Alice in Wonderland, but the 1985 TV special, because mm-hmm. it's a two part special. So like a three-hour-long movie, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. It was written by Paul Zindel, based off of the book, the novels by Lewis Carroll. Music and lyrics by Steve Allen, directed by Harvey Harris. And according to IMDb, now you ever like look up a TV show on IMDb where they're like, "Here's the general page," then you can look up the each individual episodes. This is yes. the general page one. So I didn't. It's weird. According to IMDb, Alice, Natalie Gregory, is in Looking Glass Land, where she meets many looking glass creatures and attempts to avoid the Jabberwocky, Tom McLaughlin, a monster that appears due to her being afraid. Now, part, that is part two (laughs) of this two part. Part one is truly Alice in Wonderland. Like, yeah. It's through the Looking Glass and Alice in Wonderland two-parters. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's something. It's a wild, wild ride, man. I'm and I'm I'm so excited that you spent three hours in my little like <sighs> corner of my childhood history. Broadway <laughs> <Pardon> Bob. <laughs> what when I say that I laughed with glee when the Jabberwocky appeared at the end of Alice in Wonderland. I tell you, I was maniacally laughing at like two in the morning in my apartment by myself. Like, <laughs> well, I, I will tell you that there is a generation of people and I'm not sure how old you are. I'm, I'm 42 years old. When this came out, I was, I think, six. And a lot of people my age, if you like read like the comments in YouTube and like people talking about like, because the whole video, the whole movie's out on YouTube. Someone put it up a year ago. Praise um, them. I'm going to I praise know. them. <laughs> I know it's high definition. It's great. And there's a whole generation of kids who that Jabberwocky scarred us because we were not anticipating that. Like, we're like Alice in Wonderland through the, like, 
we like that was never part of what we knew as Alice in Wonderland. The final scene of the first part of this ends with a Jabberwocky, like this creature, like coming forward. And it's like, I mean, for 1985, it's a very well done puppet creature. You know, it's kind of it's 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 bizarre looking. It's like a fish and a and a dragon, and it has wings and it breathes fire, and it's just and it flies. And it, it flies, and it, an actor in there, kind of walking around. It's unsettling as a six-year-old to see that and it scarred a generation of now adults i tell you that much so i was not laughing when i was a kid i was oh, sorry i mean like i said this is the first time i'm watching this sure i i had i didn't read anywhere if there was like a rebroadcast of this years later because sometimes you know shows will syndicate itself but i feel yeah. like this was just a one and done kind of a thing i think it was i mean i the the reason why i like this was before the age of like really like home video in a way and it aired like around now like in 1995 as December 9th and 10th it aired in 1995 mm-hmm. and back in the back then I mean I, like there's people probably my age and I don't, I'm not sure how old you are but like that um, that no like miniseries like you had like and like there was an event and you watched this right. thing and it was promoted pretty heavily aired those two days and then my parents luckily recorded it on VHS and I watched it religiously. I got my cousins to watch it with me. I mean everyone who like I could just sit at the like at the TV and rewatch this. And then of course I watched it until like the VHS was worn through. Of course. And then I kind of forgot about it after I got older. And then maybe about 15 years ago or maybe uh, maybe sooner, it came out on DVD. And I bought it and watched it again. And it was just like all these emotions came back and it was just so fun. But yeah, it was, it was one of those things that I watched religiously, like from like six to probably eight years old. It was like my thing. Yeah. So like I knew of uh, the song Jam Tomorrow because that became like an internet sensation mm-hmm. like <laughs> 10 years ago or something like that. Yes. But I, this is my first time watching this and oh my, it's so wild. It's wild and crazy. It's it's insane. It's insane. I mean, I don't know where you want to start, but it was like, it is one of those things that um, you watch it now and you kind of get it for what it is. Like, it's camp. It is like, it's like the love boat meets Alice in Wonderland. It's like... Oh, you saw the cocaine. Like, you saw... Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is, it is bizarre. And like, it's, um, it's really sweet and wholesome, but also disturbing. And I guess that's just an artifact of like the source material is kind of that way too. It's kind of upsetting. Mm-hmm. And apparently I've, I've never read the actual, I never read Lewis Carroll's books, but apparently what people are saying, it's very faithful to the books in terms of like the beats of the story. So I don't know. This is uh, the perhaps. Alice, the, the, the first part is the yeah. second part. Not so much. Cause the Jabberwocky is only introduced in the poem. Oh, which if you've if you've ever read the poem it's nonsensical and that's i only know so the famous. poem from when alice reads it in the show right <laughs> in the tv <laughs> yeah but it, it is it is and like the thing about it um as you mentioned um steve uh uh alan Irwin, Irwin allen there's steve allen Irwin allen there's all these allens in it uh-huh. um it's very created, incestuous <laughs> i know he created it and he like was known for the poseidon adventure and for the towering inferno like these huge kind of like blockbuster disaster films and then he made this and i think that he just kind of like called on favors of all of his friends that were like former vaudevillians stage actors like 
who just kind of popped in and did small cameos. And so it's it, the interesting thing about this show is that I didn't know who these people were, these like icons. I just knew them as these characters in this miniseries. Right. And then as I got older and I was like, oh, that's that's Carol Channing? That's the White Queen. That's that's how I know Carol Channing. Or or that's Emma Jean Coco, or that's Red Buttons, or that's even Sammy Davis Jr. My introduction to him was this show, right? So it was all these things, oh my, my context, <laughs> my context for all of these greats that just pop up. Even now when I was researching for this and I kind of rewatched it and I was like looking at the cast list, so I'm like, oh my God, Harvey Corman was in this? I forgot about that. Yeah, why? Because uh, at the beginning of both parts, you see, they do the cat, the, um, it's like an old school way of introducing everyone, which it's not yeah. done like this anymore, where there's the pick, like you see a shot of them from the movie or what you're about to see. And then they're like, enter name here, you know, yeah. Ringo Starr, yeah. who is in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it I was heard. a showcase for people. <laughs> like, yeah, like you're right. The credits pretty much sum up the tone of the show. It is, it's like a extended Carol Burnett sketch. It feels like. Yeah. But it like, just, and yeah. the, the great thing about this, yes, it's bonkers, banana crazy for, you know, people of a certain age. Okay, I'm I'm about 10 years younger than you, so I'm okay. I'm 33. So, okay. being in my 30s, I love camp like this. And the great thing like I was saying is that the adults of this are having so much fun or most of them are, I should say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are some mm-hmm. of them that are like this is a paycheck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you can tell, right? Like I was I was mm-hmm. reading about um I was reading about like the making of this movie just to kind of like get a sense of like, how, like what, what do they do? How much budget do they have? How much time? And as you can expect, like, for example, you had um, Stephen Eadie who played Tweedledee and Tweedledum, um, yes. which is one of my favorite songs in the show. And I know we're going to go through the songs, but it's one of mine. And I was reading about like them and they had like done like a Vegas, like they, they performed like at, at midnight, their Vegas show, and then flew out that morning and arrived on set at 6 a.m., learned the choreography, learned the blocking, learned the lines, filmed it that same day, and then flew away. Like, that's how quickly they, like, brought people in, did their things. And you can kind of tell it has, like, this rushed kind of, like, no one quite knows what they're doing, really. They're just kind of sketches of characters that they've just kind of made up on the spot. And they said, great. And they got them out the door. So it was a lot of that. Like, you felt like these icons were coming in and, like, really leaning on their their skills that they've cultivated over their entire career and just out <laughs> like and then they were done filming they that were, day. <laughs> yeah except for except for like the um the royalty characters if you will because they're yeah. the ones that come back later yeah yeah okay so speaking of the royalty characters the red yeah. queen i want to i i was watching this when i was watching this i i just was like did it feel like the red queen was written for madeline khan if i could totally see her in that yeah right? It, like, like, no no shade or any or un- undercutting the performance of ah oh, fuck i don't remember who played angelian yeah yes like yeah. she did such a great job but some of the like even like the look of her looked like madeline Kahn. so i was just like mm-hmm. i couldn't find anything about that i don't know if you saw that in that uh behind the scenes thing that you read but no no yeah, I think it was like, I don't know how, I don't know how this was cast. I think it was a lot of favors, a lot of people that knew people. I don't know. But yeah, Angelian was kind of a wild card for me. Like the others, you're like, oh, I get it because they're kind of icons. And Angelian was um, a name 
but it was and but she like the um if you watch it and it's on youtube and jillian's character the red queen and carol channing the white queen kind of are like her mentors throughout the second half of the of the thing they're the ones that kind of like talk her through what needs to happen they kind of they they sing some really nice songs to her they scare her they kind of like bring her along like the journey in the second half so she has a meaningful part and i'm like angelian of all people but she holds up but i could Mm -hmm. totally see a madeline khan playing that role because it is a little high strong a little little eccentric she could really lean into that, but I could I wouldn't know what it would be like the Madeline Kahn, Carol Channing energy together. Might oh, be too two much. alphas. It'll be, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never, but like, I'm, uh, flames, flames. <laughs> On the side of my face. On the side of my face. <laughs> this, so I would, I was, uh, I had to look up Steve Allen because I've never heard of him before. Um, yeah. So I didn't realize he was the first host of the Tonight Show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's done all these other things, and but if you look at his Wikipedia page, they've really like leaned into that fact that he was the host of the Tonight Show, and allegedly wrote over eighty five hundred songs in his life. <laughs> he was prolific. Yeah, he was one of those people who did everything. It seemed like, and so he was the composer of the music in this thing, and, and the music. The- paper man and played the paper man which i did not realize until i was looking at the list of people yeah he wrote the songs there's a ton of songs in the show um yeah there's 19 songs in both parts but apparently he wrote over 40 for the whole production yeah yeah i think probably a lot of them weren't used even in the song list that's on wikipedia i was kind of going through your outline that you sent to me before this and um i was looking at the song list i'm like i don't remember that song and the some of the songs aren't in the what is what was aired um, that are in the list in the Wikipedia things. So there even are cut songs listed in the in the outline of the songs that were in the show. Oh, so baby. yeah, so he 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 was kind of like I feel like the Dolly Parton of of this because Dolly Parton for um, she's prolific too and writes a ton of stuff. I remember from the musical Nine to Five when she was asked to write it, she wrote like a ton of material and they used like ten percent of it. So I bet. He's one of those people who isn't too precious about his composition writing and just wrote a ton of stuff. And the way you can kind of tell, a lot of it just seems like music that was just popped in here for a charm song for each of the, to showcase our celebrities. Doesn't really advance the plot. It's just kind of like a number to give our stars of the show a moment to shine, but they're fun. Plus it also felt like a little like entertainment songs for the the target audience, which is children. I hope it's children, even though... Some of the stuff in it is crazy bananas. <laughs> I think it's, well, I think like most things of that time, children's entertainment, they didn't quite know how to cater to children. It was a lot of it was, we think this is what children like, and we're going to do this. And I think a lot of it was also for maybe grandparents to watch it with their children because of all of the, mm, you know, it's. Yeah, yeah, that fine line of like, we have to entertain the children, but also the adults who are yeah. with them. Yeah. I, I, well, I, before we go any further, I just want to get your thoughts of like, what did you think? Like watching like the three hours, oh. what are you, oh. what are your thoughts? No one has asked me this before. Well, it's a wild and crazy ride. They towed the line of like the wizard of Oz where, you know, Alice basically says her whole journey is like, I want to go home. Yeah. Like that's, that's it. That's all she wants. But like all these people, 
seem to want her to stay in Looking Glass World, which I'm a little confused by because they're all adults. Yeah. Um, The the White Knight, like, confused the fuck out of me because I was like, is he hitting on her? What the fuck? But, (laughs) yeah, I mean... Those final moments in the last act, yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. I could tell that this was a children's program, which was, I mean it's and it's great quality too i also felt like you could tell when the drugs hit for certain people because like that soft shoe number that sammy davis jr and uh natalie gregory does is wild (laughs) yeah yeah Um, it's a it's a it's yeah that that was one of those moments where it's uh I had forgotten about that until I rewatched it in terms of what that <laughs> what that looked like. Yeah. But you know, a lot of these people, you could tell that they were there for like a day. And some of them were living their best lives, like Pat Meridia was just having so much fun. Eating newspaper. Yeah. E- eating newspaper and carrots. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I also really I also really appreciated the like the face painting that they did, the makeup. I know that the tone is like wacky crazy and all this other crap is happening but like the design of it was very serious you know they're like no we are i know we're people in a bunny suit but like we're gonna make it look not like you know your typical bunny suit that you can get at a party store we're gonna make Mm -hmm. it look a little precious for this production i think one of the reasons why i like the aesthetic of this production i mean I think this production combined with the other musical that was my first musical on Broadway was Cats. The The aesthetic of those two things, I think, informed kind of how, like, my aesthetic as a human, like, as an adult in terms of what I like. So you like people being anthropomorphized. <laughs> yeah, I do. And, like, and like it's, a, it's, that, it's the charm of it. It's just very... Um, I mean, for, for that, for this mini series, Alice in Wonderland, it was a very specific type of design. I feel that they had to like give them the representation of what they were playing, but also make sure that you knew that this was a famous person. So mm-hmm. like they would make sure to accentuate like that famous person's things. Like Telly Savalas was the Cheshire cat and Telly Savalas is famously bald. So the Cheshire cat is bald. <laughs> so they would like work in like a bald cat. What the hell? Um, but they would work in elements of like who they were as an icon into like like Carol Channing has her crazy white hair. So she's the white queen, right? So like they would work in these moments of like who they are as like icon into their costumes, which I really loved. And the other thing about Cats, which came out in the early 80s and this wow. is that Jillian Lynn choreographed both of them. So, yeah, apparently the original choreographer was fired from this movie version and she was brought in and she had just won the Tony for Cats. So they were like giving some credibility. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot of crossover between those two things that I love with uh, with this. So, yeah, your design point is well made and it's way before the era of CGI, of course. Oh, yeah. So there's so like the Cheshire Cat moment is a little freaky but like it's before like they we perfected the or not perfected because they're still perfecting it but like uh made it made it smoother the computer Mm -hmm. generated stuff yeah yeah but man this is this was a wild ride like this uh i did notice though that a lot of the songs felt like they were ballady and i don't know if that's a steve allen thing or like what they 
because because they picked this yeah these 19 songs out of the 40 that he wrote yeah um but like every once in a while you get you get a great upbeat i i love jam tomorrow i'm not gonna lie it's, it's a standout song yeah it's so crazy uh out of <laughs> out of all jam of tomorrow, jam jam yes, but and like yeah yeah, yeah, I really, I really appreciated that. Like, I don't. I hope. I really do hope that, th- like, especially Carol Channing, sh- that a lot of these people had fun. Like, they saw, they saw the kookiness of it. They understood the assignment, and like, yeah, they, you know, the one person I remember reading um, about that didn't have fun in this was uh, Shelley Winters. And she plays the uh, the dodo bird, I believe. She kind of has like a Shocker. throwaway part at the beginning of at the very beginning of the of the first um, first part of the miniseries. Shelley Winters famously played the one of the leads in the Poseidon Adventure that um, mm-hmm. that Irwin. I'm gonna, I need to look up his name. What's the director's name? Uh, <laughs> Her, Harry Harris. Uh, no, the um, the director of, or not the director, but the creator, the producer of this. Oh, Irwin Allen. Allen, yes. Irwin Allen, yes, thank you. I get Steve Allen, Allen Irwin. Irwin Allen directed the Poseidon Adventure that Shelley Winters was in, so she plays the Dodo Bird in this, and apparently, like, she shows up not really knowing what she's signed up for, and she doesn't have any lines, she just is like, er, er, and she's like, she's like, I need a line. She's like, I gotta do something, I can't just sit here and make funny noises all day long. <laughs> She's like, you already drowned me once in the Poseidon Adventure. Can I at least get a line here? Because she was swimming in the water in that scene. Oh my god, that whole, <laughs> that whole sequence. I re- I remember more about Alice in Wonderland than I do about Through the Looking Glass. Yeah, the book, the novels, I should say. It felt like the majority of Alice in Wonderland portion of this stuck true to the book, and the look Alice Through the Looking Glass felt true in the sense that like it's still the chess game that they're playing or like the overall thing yeah but i there was some little details here and there like i don't remember humpty dumpty being part of um right the book um i couldn't remember which book tweedledee and tweedledum were in personally but it's just so crazy (laughs) yeah 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 i think i think what's interesting to me is that Alice in Wonderland is what I went into as a kid knowing what this was and then the Mm -hmm. through the looking glass and whatever like whatever they did to kind of like create that like what what material they pulled from to create that second half of the miniseries personally I think and I still believe today like I felt as a kid and I believe today the second half the through the looking glass is the stronger part of it because it has the best songs it has jam tomorrow it has shake hands it has mm-hmm. the jabberwocky it has more stakes i think emotionally in terms of like she wants to get home we're through the look or alice in wonderland she's just like where am i who are these people and like kind of just as passive and in the second act because as a kid i like certainly put myself in like alice's shoes like what would i do if i were here and i would empathized with her with natalie gregory who plays alice mm-hmm. in this with a very suspect blonde wig <laughs> it it moves did it, you notice con- it moves? the wig continuity in that is nonsense like there's there's scenes where she has wet hair and then the next like immediate next scene or the next like camera angle it's dry and flat and smooth so it's like and then right, it's like, and like the, the bangs, bangs are here are like, the bangs are here the bangs the, are here. The, yeah 
for those of you who can't see the visual that we have, like the bangs are hitting their her eyebrows, the bangs are like mid forehead at some yeah. point. Yeah. The the bangs are covering her eyes. Like there were <laughs> there are unfortunate wigs all throughout this show, which I adore. I love a bad wig. Uh, um, but yeah, I was I was very jealous of her wig. And can we talk before we go there? But yeah, the second act, the the through the looking glass, I think resonated with me. It has the better songs. I think it has more stakes. I also love the color of her dress is something that's so 1980s. I can't get over it. Well, I mean, you what do you also... call that color? Like salmon? Uh, <laughs> I thought it was more orangey. Mm. Like a rust? It's like a rust. I call it a salmon. It's a nice salmon color. <laughs> but like, you can tell that they're trying so hard not to be sued by Disney. Basically. Sure. Yeah. Because, you know, Disney famously has her in that blue dress and everything. And mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of the stuff that they did i was like you you are toting the line of like being like we're not doing disney because yeah. you don't want to get sued like yeah. I, I don't think getting sued was a big thing back in the 80s but still like no. <laughs> they didn't want to get in trouble by disney <laughs> no no it was but yeah but I, I mean so so you you enjoyed it i guess is what oh my god it's okay yes yes when we were talking about doing this i didn't realize it was two parts i thought it was just one big movie and so you know we did have that conversation of like well should we just do one part or we do two parts i was like fuck Mm. it let's do two parts because i want to talk about jam tomorrow yeah but i'm glad we did that because part one ends on a fucking cliffhanger it does and yeah (laughs) and so I, I'm just imagining you and the rest of the audiences back in 1985 watching this and being like, we have to wait another 24 hours. I know. <laughs> I know. We're like, what is this horrifying thing? Because the final act of the final scene of the first part is like, Alice comes home. She sits down in her chair and something's not quite right. And then she looks at the mirror hanging above her fireplace. And there's this horrific creature attacking her through the looking glass. <laughs> And she realizes that she's not actually home. She's like in a reflection of her home, which is a really trippy thing to think about. Like as a six-year-old to think that there's like a parallel universe that exists in the world behind the mirror, like that blows your mind as a six-year-old. And like your parents are like doing their, like they can't see you and they're like, help me. And you're trapped behind. That's horrifying. Yeah. I I have to say though, like it didn't feel like we were filmed. It was filmed on a soundstage. Like you can tell with a lot of TV movies, you know, they were filmed on a soundstage and everything. Yeah. But like the that moment, like the fact that a lot of it was flipped in the Looking Glass world was just so yeah. beautifully done. And I applaud them for doing that. But again, the cocaine set in and everything just yeah. went downhill. See, you, you don't think it looked like it was filmed on a soundstage. Like that to me was like the most sound, like the entire thing was the most soundstage-y stage setting I've, like, I, I think I've ever seen. Like the, the trees. The funny thing though is, is that it's, it was filmed on the same soundstage as um, Wizard of Oz. And they, they kept promoting this as like the new Wizard of Oz. Like they were doing like a casting call for Natalie Gregory's role. And they were like, they were saying that she was like the next Judy Garland. It was like this whole thing. And wow. that didn't happen for her, no. obviously. Now now Natalie Gregory, I looked her up because I'm like, what's going on with Natalie Gregory? Now she's 46 years old and um, is a VP of IT sales at a major like company. So. Yeah, she was, she was a, I, I saw on her IMDb and other sources that she was just a child character actor in the 80s. Yeah. And like, a few voiceovers. 90s. 
commercials and this besides this the other big thing that she did was oliver and company she was a voice character yeah yeah Mm -hmm. uh she was the voice of jenny the human in that movie yeah but the rest of it was just like an episode of whatever tv show as the child of some sort yes but you know good for her i mean and then she did something like in 2015 i can't remember what it was but it was like they were like, hey, we appreciated you back in the 80s. Come do this guest spot. <laughs> That's good for her. I didn't know she did that. I have to go check that out and see yeah. what she's up to. Yeah. Um, but I hope this movie didn't scar her because. <laughs> I could imagine being like what she was 10 when she filmed that and just dealing with all of those personalities. Like it must have been. I wonder what that was like. I had to say, though, I'm usually not a fan of child actors. I'm not going to lie. They a lot of them seem to not know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but she had to carry this whole movie basically. Yeah. Cause she's the constant throughout. And I feel like she did a great job. Yeah. She was completely professional. I don't think she like, there probably could have been child actors that like, like found like more to the character. A little and, more like, nuance. A little more nuance. Yeah. But I think for what it was and the tone of what the overall piece was like, she did a great job of like, looking with wonderment being engaged and just kind of like being able to like step out of the limelight to let like the carol channings of the show like have their moment and just be like wow and then she didn't sound too whiny when she says i just want to go home yeah like i did feel uh and we said this earlier uh i did feel the uh wizard of ozness of it all because you know, all she had to basically do is just say, there's no place like home. And I'm like, yes, we did it. Yeah. We- yeah. It was also great that, that they cast an actual child for this role, I think, because I think that's what resonated with me as a kid, because back then you didn't really see children like leading a show. It was it was usually adults playing children or they would cast older and play younger. And having an actual 10 year old play a 10 year old was pretty revolutionary for that time period to be quite honest i mean judy garland in the wizard of oz i think like how old was she like maybe 16 or something or yeah like i should know that yeah yeah but she like natalie gregory was a 10 year old seemed like a 10 year old i think that's part of it what responded to me as a six-year-old kid was to see someone like myself the only downside there's like one little thing is that i wish she either sang it or they found somebody who could sing the part too. Yeah. Because I know that she was dubbed for both of her songs. And yeah. the fact, well, the other thing too is like, there is no real I want song in this. It's all the nonsensical songs. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, do we like go through like a song with, like, do we go through the songs one by one or we just talk about it? I mean, we could just talk about it. Okay. Them. Okay. Because I think the thing that's interesting is, I was looking through your song list when you sent it to me and I was like, do I know these songs? Cause I, some of them I just completely forgot about. And I, and I'm like, Oh, that's why, because they're just like a throwaway number. But the thing that was so interesting to me is that from a musical, if you're looking at this from like the concept of like creating a musical, there's no, like, I want song. As you said, mm-hmm. the first song on the show comes like 20 minutes into the show and it's not good. And it's both like, of them. If you, yeah. Think, yeah. There's like no big opening number that sets like the tone of the piece. It's just all of a sudden they start singing. And the first song of the first episode, the first half of this is like this, not like it's nothing of a song. I mean, nothing to Sherman Hemsley, but 
it's just it's just a weird like little charm song but doesn't really set the tone of the piece so that was weird watching it yeah and i think that's probably why um the second half like responded because i think the song alice which is the final song is like the heart of the show and it kind of brings it to a nice close but the rest of the the songs like you said are just kind of these random numbers to showcase the performer who's featured in that moment and they don't really hang together in any meaningful way or like the walrus and the carpenter that is in the book so they basically Mm -hmm. made a song out of what's in the book yeah so like off with their heads was another song Mm mm-hmm I don't remember the lion and the unicorn in Through the Looking Glass, but like I said, I'm not, that one didn't really stick with me as much because Through the Looking Glass is never really done as, right. a, as a movie or anything. It's always and the lion awesome. and the unicorn, by the way, I completely forgot, has young John Stamos in it. Oh my God, yes. And a ver- another unfortunate wig. I, I was like, why didn't I remember he was in this? Because when you watch it, he's wearing this huge page boy like berries and cream wig and it just covers up his entire face and you're like oh i guess it is um john stamos behind that wig but yeah him and harvey corman have this number the lion and the unicorn which i completely forgot about um but re-watching it i was like oh yeah that moment mm-hmm. so i was a little confused about this because like obviously these are grown adults in suits like where like playing animals and things like that but do you think through Alice's eyes, she's actually seeing the animal? I mean, the the only thing that I, I would not include in that is the chess pieces, because I feel, because even going going by the source material, the chess pieces are supposed to be life-size. So, yeah. but like... Ah, oh, that's a good question. It's very deep, right? I think it's um my six-year-old self-washing this would totally believe that she thought that they were animals that could speak. It was a magical moment. I think I think the overall message in this movie, this miniseries to me was about growing up because the whole thing is that she can't come to tea because she's not old enough. And at the end of it, she is old enough to join the family tea. And I think she's trying to learn what it means to grow up. And I think that's kind of reconciling her childlike creative mind, which is like seeing these things and learning about the horrors that happen as from as as well as kind of the the fun things and then also just this whimsy of like going through and seeing all these characters so i i i I think i still believe that she thinks that they're they're still um they're still animals but i think near the end of it they become humanized and they're actually people that she cares about like there's a Mm -hmm. moment where she like reconnects with everyone in the castle when they all kind of sing to her and i think at that point they're humans um and they're they're kind of like her mentors that have helped her along this journey. But I think for the bulk of it, they're actually animals. That's what I think. Yeah, because, you know, we start the movie where her mom is doing tea, but then is it like a day passed? <laughs> That's a good question. How much time has passed? I How think much... it is like an afternoon. She fell asleep for an afternoon and this happened. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I mean, we start. she starts outside with her sister, which by the way, that is her real sister, Natalie yeah. Gregory's real sister. Yeah. And then we end the move. We end this with her being asleep in the drawing room. I guess, like the living. Room. I don't know what room yeah. that is. The room of the house. Yeah, that we only the see. one room. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, how, "Okay, so how much time has passed?" I get it. We're in fantasy world, so like 
there is no night and day. It's just, it could be one day. It could be 12 days for all we know. Who cares? Yeah. But like, she keeps talking about, you know, how her mom is missing her and everything. And you're just, I, I was sitting there like, is this a day? Is this yeah. two days? What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where if, if we were to sense this is like, like a nightmare that she's had or some type of like weird dream, like you tend to like think when you're sleeping, so much time has passed, but really no time has passed at all. So right. I think there's a bit of that, like it's a dreamscape. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, like in terms of what the time structure is in this. But I think it's I don't know. The funny thing is when I when I watch this, I'm like, it's only three hours because as a kid, I remember this being like epic, like it was hours long because it just well, felt like so much happened. There was also commercials. You have to think there about. were also commercials. That's a really good point. You're absolutely right. It, so probably the running time was about three hours each one. Yeah, each part. Yeah. So it's yeah. like a six hour epic yeah. with the commercials and everything. Yeah. That's a good point. I forgot about that. Because when they condense it down, it's an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, oh, <laughs> God. I am so happy I finally watched this. because, And that it's on YouTube. Everyone needs to watch this. I mean, get some friends together. Have fun. Laugh at it. Laugh with it. Yeah. There's, there's some, like, pretty good jokes in this, I do have to say. I can't remember any of them right now. But... <laughs> I know that I was laughing with it yeah. at some points uh, as opposed to at it, which was most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just love some of like the, the line readings, like of like, um, I think of Carol Channing when she's like, I'm 101 years old. <laughs> Forget <laughs> it. Carol Channing is giving a masterclass in acting in this movie. We also and- have to mention the most, one of the most other horrifying parts along with the Jabberwocky sequence was the sequence after Jam Tomorrow Jam yesterday when she becomes a sheep for no what reason. The fuck? She beca- <laughs> I don't remember that in the book. Yeah. You- yeah it just comes out of nowhere and i don't know what it does for us as viewers other than to like mistrust carol channing as a character like i did not trust her after that i was like she is gonna turn into a sheep again i don't care how charming this woman i don't know is as a kid i'm like stay away from her alice she is she's creepy well because like i i remember in the books with the duchess there is like Alice does take the baby and it does turn into a pig. That I know is real. Yes. From the source material. Yeah. I don't remember the white queen turning into a sheep. And that was... <laughs> and again, weird. having never read the books, and as, especially as a kid with no context, like what... Like, again, who is the audience for this when you're watching it as a kid? <laughs> I have no idea who... Like, this was for kids, yes? Or families, I should say? I don't know. I think it was like they just said, "Let's put on a show and make it fun," <laughs> and like, and then I don't know, do some, do some, some, uh, some hallucinogenics and see what happens. So I also have to give credit to Jane Meadows. She played the Red Queen, uh, yes. the Queen of Hearts. Yes. Oh my God, she did such a great job. Such a camp, like, and again, like these these serious actors, like Carl Malden is in this. And he plays the Walrus and. And uh, we have, um, oh God, what's his name? The the guy who plays the Lloyd Bridges, who plays the the um, the White Knight. And then you have Jane Meadows, another serious, like like dramatic actress, camping it up for days, like just having, having a ball. So much, like you're tripping over all the names that mm-hmm. you, if you look at it, 
And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Sally Struthers is in this, a young Sally Struthers is in this. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's and uh, Bo Bridges. I was. <laughs> let's just run through a list of names in this. I'm going to pull up the, 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 the name list. Like the first part and the second part have a list of probably 30 names each. So we have. Well, so um, I want to I wanna welcome back to the podcast, Anne Jillian. She was in Babes in Toyland, which I've done many moons ago. Really? Uh-huh. I love Anne Jillian. I mean, and a vocalist. Like, her little number that she has the like before the final act of the show is lovely. I'm like... Yeah. She's, yeah. She, she should have had... A, I, think she, I think she died of cancer too soon, but I think she just didn't kind of get the, the due that she deserved. So we, oh. had, we had Red Buttons, Sherman Hemsley... Donald O'Connor, Shelley Winters. Oh my, yeah. I was Pat like, Bayo. I was like, poor Donald O'Connor. Like, you are just throw away. You're, you're a not nothing used. part. I know. I know. But welcome back. Also, welcome back to the podcast because we did sing it in the rain. Hooray. Love. He's <laughs> phenomenal in that. Such a, such a class act. Sammy Davis Jr. Um, I'm just skipping over a lot of names here, but uh, Martha Ray, Imogen Coco, Tali Savalas, Anthony Newley as the Mad Hatter, who, by the way, has a really bizarre song because he plays the Mad Hatter and then he's one of the people who has a ballad. Like, he's this crazy Mad Hatter and then sings a sweet, slow ballad. I'm like, yeah, if anyone that was have a, little, a Yeah. A, a zany, upbeat number. It's hit. It's that. It's the tea scene. It's the tea scene. You don't drop it with a, with a ballad. Um, but I guess Anthony Newley is a balladeer in some way, so he wanted that. Roddy McDowell, Artie Johnson, um, Jay Meadows, that we mentioned, Robert Morley. Telly Savalas's brother is in this, playing the courtier. Uh, okay, you, courtier. yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, Ringo Starr. <laughs> oh my God. Turtle. Ringo, Ringo, I felt like was another one that is like, I'm just here for the paycheck. He seems so, like, of all of them, he seemed the one that was the most, like, left at sea he did not know what to do he just looked like i am in this costume and that's as much as i can do right now <laughs> which i was reading um so he plays the mock turtle yes. and they make a joke that uh, mock, mock turtle is what makes mock turtle soup but if you actually like watch it again he looks like a cow and that's because mock and mock turtle soup sometimes they would use veal look at that that's so, clever so they actually, like, they actually did like some uh, like layered humor in this sometimes <laughs> other other times it's like smoke screen and now we're going to do a soft shoe number like <laughs> i'm looking i'm trying to find who does the costumes for this and the wikipedia page doesn't list it let's see I'm you look on... for that i was i wanted to give a, co- a shout out to the costumer because i'm sure that they had like really limited time probably limited budget and the costumes are just so charming. I mean, I mean, the only the, one of the only digs I have of the costuming are the red and white queen's crowns that look like they were made primarily with a giant styrofoam ring. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, I was a little disappointed with those costumes because, like, it's very basic. Yeah. Um, so, according to IMDb, it is I'm going to butcher these names uh, or this one person's name: John Peacock and Paul Zetsu. Punvich? Huh. Doesn't ring a bell. What are they? What are their credits? I'm curious. So Paul, I'm not going to pronounce his last name. Yeah. Um, he did 51 episodes of Lost in Space, the original. Okay. That 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 tracks. 
beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Okay. And the Poseidon Adventure and so the Terring Inferno. So, Ir- so uh, Irwin Allen's uh, uh-huh. uh, go-to. Okay. And then John Peacock, the Winner's Tale TV movie from 1980, <laughs> uh, Richard III TV movie, a few episodes of Doctor Who, and that's it. Like okay. he said, he's done more, but I, those are the ones that of note that people yeah. would be like, oh. He must have been uh, like an assistant costume designer then. Like maybe John did the specialty costumes or something. Yeah. One did the specialty costumes. One did the, the like the real clothes. You know, ones that look like clothes, you know, like yeah. the, the Queen's, co- all the Queen's costumes. That could uh, be, that could be true. But who do we blame for the the styrofoam ring crowns? Uh, let's go with both of them. Okay. Um, and the, and then the other names we have in the second half are we have Roddy McDowell, Artie Johnson, uh, Lloyd Bridges, who we mentioned. I uh, forgot Merv Griffin was in this. <laughs> Merv Griffin, Pat Morita, and then a lot of the repeats from the first one. But there's, it's just, uh, and then also Sheila Allen plays Alice's mother, and Sheila Allen is the wife of Irwin Allen, the creator of this Uh miniseries so i'm not gonna lie i wish there was more song in this i know there's 19 songs which is a lot or could be considered a lot but it's if it's a if it's a three hour long epic of the two if the two combined that doesn't seem like a lot yeah yeah it's i think that they had to have probably one song for each segment before commercial break so Mm. i'm sure that's probably how it was broken down I kind of wish Sheila Allen could sing. I don't know if she could or not, uh, but I wish she had a song without like two Alice. Mm-hmm. A la Mrs. Darling and Peter, the Disney's Peter Pan or the, the Peter Pan show, I should say. Yeah, it's a really good point, right? It would have kind of like put a nice bow on the end of it and had a moment with her and her mother about growing up and being yeah. an adult or something. And like an I want song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't want to wait 20 to 25 minutes to get to the first song. I want to start off, like, it doesn't have to be a group number, because there is no real group number. You could start off with the I Want song or the mother-daughter song, and then go from there to the White Rabbit and Falling Down and blah, blah, blah. So. Yeah, you're right. There really isn't any group numbers beyond, like, maybe the... The finale. Uh, the finale, the moments in the castle. I'm sure that was just a, like a scheduling nightmare to get all these famous people together in a room. But yeah, there wasn't like a number with a chorus or a really much choreography. A lot of it was just kind of like charm, like box squares and, and jazz hands for most of uh, it, right? Don't forget about Jam Tomorrow's choreography. <laughs> I think that was mainly just Carol Channing just doing her shtick. You know? <laughs> she, that's what she does. Part of me knows that that's true, but I'm hoping that, you know, she was choreographed to like flail around or something. <laughs> um, I, uh, this, is, this is so great. The, I, other, the other thing that I wanted to mention um, was that a thing I'd forgotten as a kid that I remembered watching it recently was how much I wanted to eat all of those snacks and cakes in this they all look so delicious like the eat me cakes or the you meant the, like me, the banquet there's an eat me cake um that she but there's a, particularly a cake that happens i don't know if you remember the scene it was around the like the the line in the unicorn scene where she had to like cut a cake and oh the magic put, cake yeah. the magic cake i'm like that cake looks so good it's so fluffy and like, it's and, foam it's probably <laughs> foam i'm sorry 
it looked really good and i'm like that i really want that cake i think i also had an edible when i was watching it too so that might have been why (laughs) (laughs) i unfortunately was sober (laughs) but i'm so glad that it's on youtube because now i can rewatch it for free you can yeah and everyone needs to watch it it's 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 a trip like i i you know i normally don't like tell people to go out and watch it as often as i have in this episode but i'm just like you need to experience this if anything watch the jam tomorrow segment in like there just look that up on youtube there are probably seven thousand videos of it yeah but oh god i would also recommend my other favorite song um I think it's the strongest number because it just is a good standalone song as is shake hands that tweedle dween tweedle dum sang that like, whole, that whole segment too like that yeah. scene before before they go into what what is the other song that they do the walrus and the carpenter like yeah. before they go into that yeah the, it's a very strong scene and I do have to say I have to give a ton of credit to Natalie Gregory because like um a lot of uh, that scene w- with Sammy Davis Jr. as the caterpillar. Yeah. Like, that's a hard, if you really think about it, that's a hard scene to deliver as a child. Because mm-hmm. even in the book, Alice in Wonderland, that's verbatim. You know, the, uh, who are you? I don't know who I am anymore. I was tall and I'm small and now I don't know who I Like, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a true existential crisis. And she does like, a great job at it <laughs> she does yeah i mean the whole thing around being big and too, like being too big for some situations and too small for some situations is a lot about just being a child like you're not a child anymore but you're also not grown up enough to do the grown-up stuff so it's like that whole in-between gray middle thing as children that we all experience that she's literally going through in terms of like filling out a house or like being a tiny little thing it's a. Uh, it's one of those things that you don't think about as a kid, but you get it in some way, and you're like, I feel like that. And right, it's, and then and then when you're in your 30s, you're like, I'm not a child anymore, but I'm. Am I an adult? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, like, do I need to eat a big cake and just grow up a bit, or something? Or should so, I have a salad and be responsible with and pay my taxes? And you're like, what uh, do I? What? I know. I know. <laughs> Off with their heads. That's what I say. Off with their heads. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into Sharp and Flat? I don't think so. Let's go into it. Great. Sharp. Flat. Uh, So in this segment, we're going to talk about, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about them. Uh, And if we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it, I thought it could change. It's flat. Mm -hmm. Now, I did mine a little differently than usual because while watching this, I wanted to make sure I knew like what part each was in yeah so like that's how i broke it up where i was like sharp part one sharp part two and all that so what why don't you go first with yours well i think um the things that i like i think i love the fact that we had a child playing a child in this so for me that's a sharp i love that um it dealt with some pretty difficult things i think in a, in a very advanced way for the time um in terms of like just dealing with confusion and loss and wanting to be back home and I think some of the numbers are really charming I mean like I said it kind of informed my aesthetic for a long time around what musical theater sounds like so certainly introducing me to like the wacky characters of Carol Channing 
Stephen Eady, Imogen Coco, like giving me as a child exposure to those people who I otherwise might not have known about, I think are all sharps to me. And um, nice. yeah, and then Jam Tomorrow Jam Yesterday, I think is gonna, gonna be the thing that will stay with us forever. I want that on my tombstone. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so like overall, I really love the look of everything, you know, the costumes, makeup, production mm-hmm. design. I thought it was great. For part one, <laughs> there's a line that Alice says when she's about to drink the drink me potion, liquid, whatever. Yeah. Where, she, <laughs> where you can tell they added this in after the fact. She says, I will look to see if it's marked poison or not. And I laughed my ass off at that <laughs> line. <laughs> Imagine like how much trouble that would get into today of featuring a little kid just drinking random bottles and like, oh, well, we'll see what happens. And like, well, people would I, go insane. I think that I think they added that because they they even in 1985, they had the mindset of, ooh, maybe we should make her a little responsible for sure. a hot second. Yeah, yeah, of course, um, yeah. I love the tea party scene. I love the plot twist at the end. I gave it like three exclamation marks after that. Mm-hmm. As much as I find it cuckoo bananas crazy, I love your old father, William. <laughs> yeah. A funny little um thing I read about that number is uh, when they were staging it and getting ready to film it, the ground was too, the, the stage was too slippery and De- Sammy Davis Jr. like was slipping so they changed the entire stage floor like that, like within, like right. immediately, so he could do his little dance. So they only had him for a day and a half. A probably, probably. <laughs> yeah. He had he had to go back to Vegas or do a show or whatever. Uh, and then, and also, I did like the song off with their heads, like the whole number. Um, and for part two, I mean, I got to give it up to Carol Channing. She yeah. she steals the show with that. She is the heart and soul of that, yeah. I love the Tweedle sequence. And then, uh, obviously, like I said, uh, like I've been praising this whole episode, Jam Tomorrow. That song Mm -hmm. is, I don't, I don't know why I love it, (laughs) but I love it. (laughs) I think because like you have an emotional, you have a somewhat emotional attachment to this. I think I have an emotional attachment to that sequence because, like I said, I've seen it before. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, what is this? It's glorious. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly why else I love it. It's it's zany and wacky, and I think it's one of the numbers that captures the, the tone and spirit of the show the best. Is Carol Channing doing that number in that outfit with that hair and that energy is like exactly what it's that what moment needed. needed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to watch it like after we're done recording. Uh, <laughs> okay. Do you have any flats? Yeah. I mean, I mean, watching this as, as an adult who now like understands like structure and how, a, how a show is told. I thought it just, it seemed just kind of all over the place, probably an artifact of the source material, but like we talked about, there really isn't much structure to the songs. They just kind of like are plopped in as charm right. songs. Sondheim would have a fit. Um, oh, and, uh, yeah. I know, I know. And I think that I would just love to have, I think it takes a long time for it to find its footing as a, when you're watching it. If you haven't watched it before, it like it's like half an hour before anything really interesting happens. And it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of that. But uh, yeah, I think there's a bit of that. And I think there's also just a bit of like the, 
the under rehearsedness and shoddiness, which can also be a sharp, like the wigs are, are, are bizarre. Like people don't seem rehearsed. Um, it looks like I wouldn't be surprised if like I, the, there was like a stagehand just sitting in the back of the set because I forgot to ask them to leave. It all seems a little bit thrown together to me in some capacity. But there yeah. is something like that. I think it's in the Walrus and the Carpenter where there's a third person on in a shot and you're like, who are you? <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me in the least. Okay, so my thoughts, the first thought that I have is like, I feel like there isn't enough song. Mm. Like I said earlier, we need and I want. Um, we wait too long to like get the first song of the of the show of the each part. Also, I feel like there's a lot of like book work. And I was like, this could be a song. You could yeah. add a drop a song in here. Yeah. Or, or, you know, if it's not a full blown musical number, just like have a, have like a pattery thing or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something. Interesting side note, the book of this was written by Paul Zendel, who was a Pulitzer Prize winner in 1971, a playwright. Oh, good for him. <laughs> so they probably wanted to have his moment. But yeah, I agree. More songs always are more fun. I also didn't like the adults calling a child stupid. Mm. But that's more this time period. I feel yeah. like back then that was a little, that could have been a little more acceptable. But I was just like, mm, we could use a different word or don't blatantly call her stupid, you know. And then for part one, didn't like the song laugh at all uh i think that's the mad hatter song yeah it's a charming little number that is supposed to i think be like one of the few moments in the show where someone like sits down and sings a lovely little ballad to alice from an emotional level level but the time like the it didn't feel emotionally right for that moment and yeah it was a a drag i I did it you did just felt really dumb like, I know mm-hmm. a lot of these songs are nonsensical, but, like, that was just way out there for yeah. me. Yeah, uh, I also really didn't like the fact that they used real animals. To me, that was confusing. Because yeah. I'm like, we have people in bunny costumes. Why is there a fawn? Yeah, why is there an actual horse? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for part two, I feel like the song Alice could have changed a little bit like they could change the lyrics a little, make it more like a finale number like did you see i i love i, I i'm referencing this show a lot did you see schmigadoon yes the finale number this is how we change finale i wanted something like that yeah yeah i uh, totally agree i mean it seemed like i think it's an artifact again of like they had really no time to pull this together i think it was a moment to like give a like heartfelt moment but also just to remind us like here's our stars of the show saying goodbye <laughs> or or like a more grandiose finale number you know right. just some just something yeah another question i have that i forgot to ask you before this script and everything do you think it would work on stage i don't think so no i think no, it needs no. to be in the world of this production and this kind of aesthetic I think the moment you try to make it relevant or to bring it to like a sense that like we need to have it resonate with the audience today, it loses its charm. This is to me purely an artifact of 1985 with these people playing these roles. If you like bring in like legit stage stars, a lot of the charm is the fact that like these are people who have their own history as a character 
coming into this. So True. my long-winded way of saying, I think like it would be interesting to see, but it would not have, it wouldn't have a lot of the flaws I think would be exposed immediately. Oh no, we don't want to expose the flaws. Yeah. <laughs> the flaws are now kind of camouflaged by charming costumes and over-the-top performances by Vaudevillian stars of yesteryear. I don't know, like you couldn't do that today. Like, I'm so happy about the Jabberwocky costume. I don't think I want to see <laughs> a real, like a modern day version of it. Like that, uh, what I, when I tell you I screamed with glee every time that that Jabberwocky costume came on screen, I'm obsessed. Apparently the guy who built the puppet for that, when he built it, he like, he built it so he could fit into it. And I think he was like a taller individual. And when they went to cast an actor to to like actually play the Jabberwocky in the outfit, they couldn't find one that could fit in the costume. So they just had the guy who built the costume play the Jabberwocky. <laughs> so <laughs> the guy who built it ended up playing that character, which I thought was a, a funny little side note. I love the fact that when it spits fire, you can see it drooling lighter fluid. Yeah. <laughs> So and then when it flew, my my brain exploded. I was just like, "This is amazing!" And when she pulls, when she opens up the pre- the present, and it like, it like, oh my god, I freaked, out of it. I freaked out in a good way. <laughs> yeah, that was a good sequence. I thought that was very well done in terms of how they made the effect happen. Uh, would you add any of the songs from this to your life's playlist? I'll certainly jam tomorrow. I think that's a, that. Like you know. I think there's a lot we could extract meaning out of that song for today's world. And um, I do think that um, Angelian's little number that she has, Emotions. I think I it's wrote a, that down too. That's a lovely song, right? It showcases her voice very well. Also, mm-hmm. the lullaby is great because uh, like that, the emotions and the lullaby like bleed into each other, which is, yeah. a, which I, I want to call them one song. I'm going to yeah. call them one song. So I love both of them. Uh, I love those. Jam Tomorrow, Off With Their Heads, and You Are Old Father William. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the other songs are great. Like, I would have included the Tweedle number, but I feel like that is, in terms of, like, the way that I want to answer this question every time, it's like, if we didn't have the visual, what would I want to listen to? And I feel like the the Shake Your Hands or whatever, what, what is it called exactly? Uh, how do, do you, we do shake how, hands? How do you do shake hands? I think that one helped, like the visual, like made it better. Yeah, yeah. Because the yeah. song itself is like meh, but like the visual lifted it up. I agree. Yeah. And on that note, Broadway Bob, we are done with the episode. Oh well, this was so fun. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm I'm delighted that you spent three hours of your life um, reliving my childhood and going to the zany world of. I will of, re- I'm going to rewatch it. Erwin Allen's version of of uh of Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. Uh do you have anything you want to plug or promote? Sure. I mean, as you mentioned, I have um a couple podcasts, one with my friend Eric, Exclusive Gay Moment, where we talk about all things exclusively gay and momentous. Um, so we have guests on, we have we talk about things that informed us as young gays growing up in in uh rural towns um and it's a it's a good it's a good time so really proud of that podcast 
and then uh I have you have, my... have you covered this on there I think we talked about it like once just fleetingly about like movies that shaped us as kids and I maybe spent like a couple minutes on it but mm-hmm. yeah we're not not really and uh and then I have my other podcast the Sunset Project which is about the making of the musical Sunset Boulevard which is the last mega musical on Broadway before everything fell apart and Rent came along and changed the landscape and kind of my love of that musical and how it shaped me as a young theater kid and I'm also on TikTok Broadway Bob and Instagram on the Broadway Bob seriously go watch his video his videos on TikTok they are very informative I have to say you do talk about Sunset Boulevard but also like Broadway in general mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. so i I love them. They're great. They're great Thank when I'm you. doom scrolling at three in the morning, you know. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun. Any, while I'm here and I have you, any word on the movie version of the musical Sunset Boulevard? Is that actually oh, happening? My word. Yeah, it's, well, no, it's not. Um, Damn it. Poor Glenn Close. She has been working so hard. I mean, this is the funny thing. Gloria Swanson, the original Norma Desmond in the movie version from the 1950s, when she got done doing that movie, she spent a good chunk of her later years in life trying to produce a, a musical version of Sunset Boulevard herself called Boulevard. And she spent years developing it and nothing, like, like developing it herself writing it with a writing partner that she fell in love with but it's a whole other story and then it never came to see the light of day um shoot to glenn close who originated norma desmond and the broadway production now she's spending a big chunk of her life trying to get the movie version of the musical of the movie so it's a very and and she's been like She's been talking out, saying it's green lit. We're going to go into production in October, which has long passed us. And then recently, Angela Weber kind of dropped a line in an interview a couple months ago saying that Paramount has, um, like, something's happened where the entire project is now, like, on permanent pause. So, oh, no. I know. I think it's like, I, I bet it's because I blame Cats, the movie version of Cats, for destroying and closes pet project to get sunset boulevard the musical made. <laughs> i don't know this year we had a great great year for musicals we did but none of them uh, antlin weber has not had a good movie musical adaptation aside from i think maybe jesus christ superstar was the only musical movie of his that actually was successful artistically and critically uh- so there are some people that do love the phantom movie not well, gonna they're lie wrong. they're wrong <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not one of them but it's it's a good movie i i mean it's it's fine for what it is but it's one of those movies that i forget i think about so infrequently that i oftentimes forget it was made i'm like someone should make phantom of the opera into a movie and i'm like oh that we did <laughs> i feel like that was an issue of casting personally I think so. I think it was also, um, I think Tom Hooper just has a lot of, he doesn't quite understand musicals. I don't know why he keeps doing them. It just, I don't know. It just seems, seems flat. It's very flat. Uh, (laughs) And if you want to talk to us about your thoughts on Alice in Wonderland, the 1985 version, I have to be specific with this because like there are thousands of versions of this that you know there i i may do other versions of it in the future but like this specific one tell me your thoughts on the jabberwocky uh, <laughs> you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com 
I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Buttasong Pod. This is great, Bob. You're gonna, you're definitely coming back, and I hope you pick another '80s movie like this one. I would love to, and I have a treasure trove of things. This has been so much fun, and I love the podcast. And keep doing great work. Oh, I'm going to try, because on the next episode, we're going to be talking about Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Oh, God. I, <laughs> I go all over the place. You know, we do animated, we do TV movies. We do... It's such a great concept. It's it's just, it's fantastic. I love yeah. it. And, every, it, you know, it's great that, like, everyone has their own musical movie that they love. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to destroy that love. <laughs> Not really. No, I'm here to like, we, we talk about it. You know, I love, I love this one for a different reason why you love it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I think, it, I think there's things too, is, is when you love something as a kid and now you're an adult and you see it for what it is, but you still love it. Like there's a lot of things that we all have that where we know it's not great but we love it for all sorts of reasons we can't entirely explain other than the fact that we just have history with it. This so, is, uh, yeah. Uh, this is going in the pantheon of great movies, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm glad I could introduce you to it. Uh, well, thank you again for coming on. Like I said, you'll be back, I, for sure. Sure, uh, whenever, so, just let me know. So stay tuned, listeners, for The Broadway Bob. And bye for now, everyone. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.